Robbie. There we go. Um, everything seems good when things are going right in your life, like when uh, you have a child and there's no issues. But what about the, the mom today that had to deliver a baby who is stillborn? Is God good in those circumstances? I think there's, there's that tendency, right, especially in a social media world, a man to say, man, God, you're so awesome. God has blessed me, you know, beyond measure. Something good has happened in my life. But again, is God good in our suffering, in our heartaches? It's easy to say and sing that song, right, when life is really good. And you're like, man, how great God is. He's great. He's almighty. He's powerful. He's sovereign. He's our Lord. He's our King. But yet, when the tough times come, when the heartache happens, when the tragedy strikes, it's a lot harder to say how great you are. Uh, in our series that we started last week in the book of Ruth, uh, we saw a lot of tragedy. We saw a lot of heartache. And really, this book is such a unique book because it's like, it's, I mean, it's the perfect story uh, like, like literally you would think of movies would make a story about this, would make a movie about this because it's such an incredible love story. I mean, people would sign up to watch this on Valentine's uh, if, it was a, if you're going to put a showing time. You're going to put it around that because it's, it's got so much, right? It's, got, it's a drama-filled story filled with tragedy and despair, but hope and loyalty and romance. And it's filled with all of these things, things that we like in a good story. But we don't love the opening. The opening's sad. It's tragic. It leads you to tears. It leads you, it leads you to question maybe even your faith when you read the opening verses. And we looked at it last week. And we looked at how God functions. And we, and we don't understand His ways. And we cannot even begin to declare how we can understand God's ways. If you remember the interaction with Job and how Job basically was wrestling with God and going like, God, why are you doing these things? And how, remember how God's response was, were you there when I formed the universe? You know, when I put these stars and this constellation in the sky, were you there? No, none of us were there. But it's, it still doesn't take away the pain of saying like, man, like something really bad happened this week. And you're like, man, how great God is. Because <laughs> that's, that's tough. Uh, so I, I even want to just challenge us just to pause kind of almost in the sermon for a second is, is when we sing these songs, really think don't let, it's easy, especially songs that we know or we do for a while, to, for a song to just become something that you do, right? You like the melody, and so you sing with the melody. Or maybe you're talented, and you start singing some harmony or something. Or, or you just pick something, and you're like, I can't sing, but I'm just going to pick something. I'm going to go for it, right? And we just can sing, or we can listen to uh, musicians play for us, and we can not really reflect on what we've even sung. And I want you to reflect on that for a second, how great God is. He is incredible, but yeah, that doesn't take away the times where we go. It doesn't feel like he's been very great to me. And I think that's what is so challenging about chapter one in the book of Ruth. So if you have a Bible, we're going to look at this story in the book of Ruth as we've continued. And last week we learned a few things about God and I think about ourselves, that God is holy, he's just. He's righteous. The part that we struggle with in this kind of story is like, and he's good. 
And you're like, well, how is this good when such tragedy strikes? Because if you have a Bible, I want you to turn there. So Ruth chapter 1. So if you don't know where that is, it's before Judges, um, or right after Judges, sorry, because that's what we looked at last week. The context of this book is, is found in, uh, right in the center of, at some point, we don't, historians and, and Bible scholars don't know exactly where it fits in. We know the king of Eglon and Ehud. That's the, that's the gruesome story that's not in the children's books, if you remember. Uh, about Ehud, and you're like, no, go read Judges, and, you'll, and you'll, I won't even tell you, but just read the story. But we, that's the king of Moab, uh, and this, this is the land that now we find our characters in. The setting of our story is this family, Elimelech, this father of this family, there's a famine in the land, and this father says, okay, I'm going to take my family, we're going to move, and we're going to find a place where we can find bread, where we can find food. The interesting thing is they're leaving Bethlehem. And you know what Bethlehem is named, what its name is? It's the house of bread. This is, I mean, and put this in the context here too. This is, this is supposed to be, this is the promised land. God has promised a place flowing with what? Do you remember? Milk and honey. This is supposed to be God's providing for his people. And here's this beautiful land that is all for you to enjoy. And if you'll serve me and you'll worship me, and this will be a people that a nation that I will bless conditionally if you follow me. He gave specific commands. Look at Deuteronomy and Leviticus. You see what God was calling his people to and the things that they were not to do. And so what they were to do was when, when things got tough, right, what would happen was God would bring punishment on his people because of their sin. When they wandered away and they started pursuing the, the gods of this age and the gods of this world and they began to idolatry and, and seek and to live after the things of this world, God would bring punishment. And that punishment was to awaken them to repent of their sins and to put their trust in Christ or in God. And, and, and then what would they do? We see this in the cycle of the judges. They were doing everything that was good and what they thought was right in their own eyes. And so when they were sinning, when they were not pursuing God, when they start to pursue other gods, what would happen? God promised, here's the punishment. Here's what will happen. Famine, barrenness, Enemy nations will take over. They will punish you. You will, be, you will lose in battle. You will, you will, uh, and here's the point. What are you to do? What's your response to be? Your response is to be repentance. Repent of your sins and turn back to the living and true God. And then you will find, you'll find rest and you'll find that I will provide for your needs. I will meet your needs. But they kept doing this. And so in the stage of this cycle, maybe at some point in this cycle, God has brought famine on the land. We see that in even as you just open up in verse 1. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So this famine comes, and this family, Elimelech, takes his family. Instead of repenting and turning and putting their trust in God and calling others to do that, he takes his family to Moab. And during their time in Moab is when tragedy strikes this family. Elimelech eventually dies. The two sons also eventually, they marry Moabite women. Again, not following what God had called them to do. And they marry these two Moabite women, and then eventually, after 10 years of barrenness, again, seeing the connection of what God had called his people to do, uh, eventually their husbands had died. And that's where we pick up in our story uh, this morning. So if you have a Bible, I want us to go through this um, really together, systematically. If you have notes there, I think if you need some, maybe Austin or somebody can get them to you if you, if you need some to follow along. But picking up in verse 6, so all this tragedy has stricken this family. Naomi is empty. Everything from, in her, from her perspective, and probably from our perspective, has been taken away from her. 
She, I mean, can you, I mean, just put yourself in her shoes. Can you imagine the loss, the pain of losing your husband, and then not long after, potentially, then you lose your two sons. You have no heir. You have no children. You're, you, all you have are these two Moabite women. And there's you, and there's no, I mean, in this culture, in ancient uh, um, Near Eastern thought, what, what would happen was this. I mean, th- th- think about this. They would, I mean, the the culture there, what was the woman to do? She can't provide for herself. She can't, she has no no one to take care of. So naturally what happens is what we see in verse 6. I mean, there's there's no prospects for Naomi. She's older. She's thinking, well, at least my daughters-in-law have prospects. They're still young. Maybe they can just go get married again. But again, remember, they're Moabite women. And so here, picking up in verse 6, look at it with me. He says this, then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So in an act of grace, I want you to see this, in an act of grace, God has chosen to allow her, in the midst of all this tragedy, in the midst of all the suffering, in the midst of all the pain, heartache, God has in grace, reminded her and allowed her to hear this good news of, hey, God has, come, God has come back, in a sense, from their perspective, come back and has visited Israel again. So at some point in this story of the judges, the cycle, they have repented of their sins. And God is now bringing rain again. And now there's, there's fields growing with the harvest. And now they can eat again. And God is blessing. And God, in grace, allowed uh, Naomi to hear this news. And to know that she can go. And so she's like, okay, well, I have, what else am I going to do? Stay in this land as a foreigner with just two Moabite women, my daughters-in-law? Or am I to go? Looking on, he goes like this. So it goes like this. So they had visited his people and given them food. Verse 7. And this is where we get what we're going to see, uh, our first point. I'm going to walk through kind of the passage and we'll give some lessons in it. So number one, if you're following notes there, this is the, kind of the structure of this. We're going to look at three sections. So the first section that we're going to look at is a decision to return. So there's a decision to return by this this family, these three women. So it says this, Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. Verse 7, So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. So they begin their journey. All right, so, I mean, they're in Moab. They've, they've, I don't, we don't know exactly where they are in this. It sounds like it's probably early along. And all of a sudden, Naomi's kind of like, you know what? I'm thinking, this is probably not going to be a good idea for you two, for Orpah and for Ruth. I, you're going to be going to a strange land. You're going to come back to our land. I mean, the Moabites are, are the enemies of Israel. They're the, the people that are despised by Israel. And so maybe she has a moment of like, okay, this is probably a bad idea. These girls... Man, I'm thinking of you. Don't worry about it. So look at verse 8. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you, as you have dealt with the dead and with me. I mean, so in our, in our English Bibles, you have that word kindly. Kindly is a unique word. It is one of the most incredible words that we cannot really put into an English. You can't just go like, okay, hesed means blank. Let me give you just a comparative word. 
Hesed is the word that, that, that is translated here in your, in your ESV Bible, if you have one. It's translated as kindly. Hesed is this unique word. It is this covenant loyalty. Uh, I love you because I love you. It is, there's like so much of who God is wrapped up in this one word. And so here in the midst of Naomi experiencing such tragedy and loss, and she, what we're going to see is she understands that it comes from a sovereign God, but yet she thinks that God is just punishing her. She thinks that God is just punishing her and punishing her. And what we're going to find out is that is not the case. That's what she experiences. That's her feeling. That's what she sees. That's what she knows from her perspective. And she's experienced this. But notice, even in the midst of all that, she's like, may, may God, look at it again. He says, go return to each of you, your, your mother's house. May the Lord, Yahweh, deal hesed with you. Deal with compassionate love and mercy and grace and goodness. May he be kind and generous to you. Notice what she says about these two daughters-in-law, these two Moabite women, how you have dealt kindly, the same word, with my, my children, with my two boys, your husbands, and with me. How you have dealt kindly with me. May God bless you. She's, she's trying to put a blessing on them and say, may God bless you. And then it continues, verse 9. The, glo- the Lord, again, Yahweh, grant that you find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. And so then she kissed them, and notice this, and they lift up their voices and wept. So can you just imagine, they're walking along the road. Here they are, they're just kind of walking down the road. They're traveling back to Bethlehem, go back to Naomi's family. And here in the midst of this, Naomi's kind of like, kind of has this moment of like, you, got, you girls don't need to go with me. Don't, don't, there's no point for you to come with me. All that's ahead for me is nothing. I'm, I'm kind of worthless. I'm no, I'm no good. There's nothing, there's nothing that's going to happen in my life. There's no benefit. Like, listen, you're going to experience pain. You're going to experience probably some, some slandering. You're going to experience a a hardship by coming as a Moabite woman into this, into my homeland. And so what does she do? She tells them, and she's trying to convince them, don't, don't come with me. Just, man, may God deal kindly with you. May you get married again and just enjoy relationship again. Stay home. Don't come with me. And so they all are like, like this two, these three women are just grouped together and they're just hugging and kissing each other and like weeping together. Like, no, no. And I think this speaks something about Naomi. That her two daughters-in-law are, are ready to forsake their own family, their own people to go with this woman. There's something there about Naomi that must have been, that brought a joy in that home. Maybe she was the light of the, she lit up the room. She was the life of the party and their family. I'm not sure, but they, they respected her so much that they're like, well, we're not, I mean, I know my mom and dad are at home and I could go there, but I, I want to go with you. And so they're walking down the road and, and Naomi's like, listen, this life's going to be too hard. This is going to be too challenging just don't worry about it. Go, go back home. She has this kind of moment. And so she's trying to convince them. And so it continues on in verse 10. And they said to her, no, we will return with you to your people. So they're like, no, no, we'll continue on after they've cried it out a little bit. Right. And they're like, no, 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 we'll go on with you. But look at verse 11. But Naomi said, okay, I haven't convinced you yet. Let me, let me give you another argument. Let me give you some reasons. Have you ever had someone do that for you? Like, let me give you some reasons why you should or shouldn't do something. And they're like, okay, listen, reason number one, here's this, or here, let's look at some pros and cons. Naomi is laying out really, to be honest, a really good case for them to just go back to their homes. 
She's laying it out. Look at, look at on verse 10. And they said to her, no, we won't go. Verse 11. But Naomi said, turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? So basically what she's saying is like they're following a, a Leverite law that was that the, the, the younger. So if like say um, one of your, so if Naomi, she had, say if she had three sons or four sons, right? But two of them died and they were married. The other sons would take in and care for the other younger um, widows. And they would take them in to provide for them and to take them in and, and to help them and all those kind of things. This was a, a right, this was a Leverite law that they were to follow. And she's like, look at me. I'm old, I'm barren, I don't, have any other, I don't have any other kids that can help care for you, that can take you in. And she's like, continue on. And she says, have I yet sons in my womb that may become your son- husbands? I mean, I'm not, even, I'm not pregnant. I, I have no prospect of getting pregnant. And then even if I do, continue on, turn back, my daughters, go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and, be- and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they are, were grown? Would you therefore refrain, refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. She's saying, look, I mean, she has a, a good argument. Like, there's, this life is going to be really hard. You don't need to come with me. Just go back to your families. Your families will accept you, take you in, and you'll probably meet another man, and you'll be able to get married, and maybe God will bless you with children or your God's quote, will bless you with children. Just go that way. Don't, don't go along with me. There's nothing for you. And so listen, it says in verse 14, then they lifted up their voices and wept again. Notice what it says here, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. That word clung is the same that you get in Genesis, where God says, the two shall become one. When he talks about marriage, it's almost like it's, we're seeing some strong language from the author about this relationship between Ruth and Naomi. And we're going to see that continue here in a second. But what we're seeing is this, is there's this decision to return, but it's going to be a difficult one. It's going to be a challenging one. And what it, notice what she says. She's like, listen, go back to, go back to your life. Don't go with me. And and look what he says in verse 15. And she said, see, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. So Orpah's like, okay, if this is what you say, Naomi, I love you. I'm willing to go, but okay. And so she kisses her and walks back to her family. But notice that other phrase, and to her gods. See, Naomi, even in the midst of this, see, Naomi's a little flawed, just like all of us are flawed, right? She has an understanding of God and that God is in control of circumstances. She doesn't leave it to happenstance. When you read Ruth, that's what you see. You see the sovereignty of God. You see he's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. He's omnipotent and omniscient. He is um, in control of all these circumstances. Nothing is surprising him. But yet, Naomi's a little flawed, too. Is like, just go back to your God's. Do you see what 10 years in Moab can do to someone? 10 years of living in there, maybe you can start to think, maybe there are their gods that are in control. And so just, listen, you're a Moabite, go back to your gods. It's, the, it's kind of like, ultimately, like the broad road and the narrow road. 
the, the easy way, right? Like the, the, when we look at this circumstance, we're going to look at this in a few of our lessons at the end, but when you look at this story, the easy way is for just Orpah and Ruth to go home. Like that's the easy path. That's the broad road. That's the one that's like, you know what? It actually will be a lot easier. My life will be easier if I go back home. My life will be more simple, and I'll probably get married. Man, the, the road ahead is hard, and that's what Naomi's trying to convince them of. The road in front of you, this is going to be terrible. It's going to be awful. God has dealt bitterly, and maybe he'll continue to deal bitterly with me and you. And so Orpah takes that road. It wasn't thought through. I mean, it was thought through pretty significantly. I mean, she was willing to go. She had already started the journey with her. And Naomi convinced her, go back to, as he tells as she tells Ruth, go back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But here's what I want us to see in our next point as we walk through this. This next section, verse 15 through 18, is there's this determination to follow. This is an incredible determination of God. Uh, and uh, of, this, of God pursuing a people and then Ruth saying, I'm going to go with you. You can tell me to take the easy road, Naomi, but I'm willing to go with you. Look at this is... This is sometimes quoted, I'm not sure why you would do this, like I have a great mother-in-law in in this room actually, Um, but I don't know why you would quote this in a wedding ceremony about being like connected to your mother-in-law, you know, and all those kind of things, but they do this here, a lot of weddings that I've seen. So, but Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. Here we're getting the first time, we're getting dialogue now. So the first Six verses were just hist- quick, a quick history of 10 years. Boom, Elimelech takes his family because of famine. Then Elimelech dies. Then his sons die. And Naomi's like, well, I've heard that God has come back and is, is bringing food. And there's food and a relief in Bethlehem. So he, she goes. And then we get the interaction of Naomi. And now we get a dialogue from Ruth the first time here. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go. I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your p- Notice this, this is so important right here. Your people shall be my people. Because remember, she is a Moabite. She is not a part of the family of God. She is not a part of God's chosen people, the Israelites. She says, I'm going to forsake family. I'm going to forsake the gods that you're telling me to go back to. I'm going to forsake all of that, and I'm going to come can cling and she's holding on to and cling to you and your people will be my people and your God, my God. And where you die, I will die. I know that for us isn't a, a, a significant, but again, ancient Near East, this was a big deal. Where you were buried was very much tied to the gods of that area and that was tied to the connection of your afterlife. And so it was a big deal. She's forsaking her gods, and she's going to go with Naomi, and she's going to die among her god. And so she is clinging to these things and saying, where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also, if anything. I mean, she's pronouncing a curse on herself. May the Lord do so to me and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw, this is interesting too, when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. Interesting, she just gives silence. She says, okay. It wasn't like, man, give you a big embrace, like, thank you. (laughs) It's just kind of like, okay, we'll go on our journey. But do you see that determination to say, I will follow you? I mean, this was a moment of 
conversion. This is a change in this woman. She's saying she doesn't understand maybe fully Yahweh and what this actual one true God really is, but she's saying I am because I've watched, there's some things here that I think are important. Naomi must have in her life and in their home presented things that made it, man, I want to follow you. I'm willing to follow you. Have you ever been around those people that are just natural leaders, people in, that you're just like, man, and it's not because they're like just funny and because they're smart or whatever. It's usually because they care and they love and they're genuine. And you see that genuineness in someone and you say, man, that's a person of character that I'm willing to follow. Naomi must have been that kind of person of, of high character. But yet in this moment, in this time, she is experiencing complete and utter devastation. And she's just, my life is a wreck. God has dealt bitterly with, harshly with me. I'm just going to go back home and maybe there'll be something there for me. I don't really know. And Ruth says, I will go with you. It's a determination to follow. And then the finally, as we look at the sections of this passage and kind of breaking down, there's an uncomfortable reception as they enter into Bethlehem. An uncomfortable reception. Look at verse 19. It says, so the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? She said to them, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Take the weight of that phrase. Here she is full in the sense of she has a family. She has, I mean, everything in this culture is tied up in family. And here she has everything she needs. She's like, my husband, my two sons, we leave. And then eventually they get to marry and they meet these, these two individuals, Orpah and Ruth, and they marry. Everything in my life is satisfied. I'm full. But can I challenge something here? What happens I want to ask you this question. What happens when you put all of your security and hope in something in this life? When you put your satisfaction, being satisfied in something in this life, what happens when that is stripped from you? What happens when maybe you find your security and you're helped, and then your health is taken away from you? What happens when that, when that, when that happens, right? Your depression naturally is a, a byproduct of that. You will start to think about the difficulty and the, and the trial, and, and, it's e- and it's so easy because it's, it's, it's very natural in our, in, our, in our own minds to play that game and to say, you know what, like, I'm, it's not worth living for. There's, there's too, it's too hard, or, or like God, is, God has allowed this trial, and I don't understand why, and so it's too hard. And it's easy to get caught up in those things. If that becomes it, or maybe it's a relationship, Right? Maybe it's a husband, and then if that husband is lost or taken away or that spouse is taken from the picture for some, some tragedy happens, like, listen, are you going to be able to move on? And I don't, mean, I don't say that tritely. I mean, what I mean by that is this. I don't mean like, Matt, tomorrow, like, my husband died. Oh, well, God, God knew, and so you go get married the next day. That's <laughs> not at all what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, like, if, if everything is wrapped up in a person or in a job and that job is lost, does it lead you to despair? What I want to challenge you on this is, is this. When, if, if that thing is removed from your life, if that is the thing that find, you find security in and that's taken away from you, that really ultimately shows you where a lot of your idols, your idolatry, your idols are. 
the things that you put up above God, that if that is removed, you literally think you have absolutely nothing. So if you find your worth wrapped up in your job and that's removed, what happens? If you find your worth in being a, a parent, but you just can't have kids, you keep trying and just God is not providing you with kids, but you're like, man, I'm not a real person if I don't have children, if you're a, if you're a female and you're like, I can't have kids, and so you feel worthless. You see, if we wrap ourselves up and we treat things as if they're a God in our life and we worship those things, we will feel completely empty. And I get what she's experiencing. She's experiencing this because she's like, I left full, but the Lord has dealt bitterly. She's minimizing some of the effects of this, the choices that were made beforehand that led to where she is today. And here she says, I've left full and now I've returned empty devastated. And people are looking, and maybe they're starting to groan and ask, as it's saying, it's like the whole town was stirred. I mean, she rolls into Bethlehem, and she comes in with this, all she has in tow is a Moabite. And I'm sure that all the people are like, they could tell who she is. Oh, so, so she's here too now. Maybe they've heard word of some things that have, the tragedy that's stricken Naomi, but maybe it just showed up on her face. They could just see she was worn from life's experiences. And here, in this uncomfortable reception, the people are asking, is that Naomi? And so here, we come to one of the great hopes that we see. It does it, look at verse 22. So Naomi returned, and Ruth, because it's going to be a summary of what's already happened. So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came by happenstance, random luck, I think not. They returned at the beginning of barley harvest. And so you might say, okay, this is a story, and like this is an, uh, maybe an, even a, a hard spot to stop. You, so you say, all right, like this, like this book is hard to wrap up in a bow after every chapter because they're each unique and they're challenging in their own way. But I want us to just pull a few, a, few, a few lessons away from this. So if you have your notes there in front of you, a couple lessons from this tragedy and this journey and this difficulty. One is this, is conventional wisdom does not accomplish the will of God. Conventional wisdom does not accomplish the wisdom of God. You might be like, what, what do you mean there, Eric? What does that mean to conventional wisdom does not accomplish the will of God? Because here's what we do, right? We're humans, and we have this brain, and we know that God has given us a brain, and so it's tend to be like, all right, what are the pros and cons? All right, so if we played the pros and cons game with Ruth and Orpah, what's the pros and what's the cons? Like the pros, we would be like, all that Naomi said, go, it makes sense. Conventional wisdom would say, Ruth, don't go down this path. Go back to your, your family. Go back to your gods and go back to a life that you will have a full life. Maybe God will bless you or your gods will bless you with children. Maybe you'll have a full life. So conventional wisdom would say, go. Conventional wisdom, though, is not going to accomplish the will of God. You see, God's hand is all over this story. God's sovereignty over this, because here's the remarkable thing is this. I mean, there's so many things in this story that we're going to look at as we continue it. But first is this, is when we see this conventional, on a very practical level, Orpah's decision makes perfect sense. Like, it makes actually the most sense out of, all, of, of both decisions. 
But here it is, like, what is going on to be there for you as a Moabite woman? Nothing but slander and hatred. If you come with me, that's what you're going to get. You're going to be mocked. You're going to be made fun of. You're going to be slandered. People are going to gossip about you. They're going to treat you harshly because they're going to treat you worthless. They're not going to treat you as a human. But if you go back to your people in your home, they're going to accept you. Conventional wisdom. You know, loneliness and a hard life may not make it back. I mean, they might not even make it back to Bethlehem. They're not even getting back to Bethlehem. You remember that Proverbs, Proverbs 14, 12? There's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. You see, conventional wisdom does not accomplish the will of God. Number two is this. Another lesson I think we can learn from this is Ruth is such an example. She exemplifies risk taking faith it's risk taking faith it's really remarkable because she's saying all of these options are a lot easier and better to go this way but she's like i'm willing to risk everything to be with you and with your god and your people it is a remarkable amount of faith that we see in god she says, I will go where you go. I will, be, I, will go where you st- I will stay where you stay. And your God will be my God and your people, my people. She exemplifies risk-taking faith. It's really remarkable. And then the other is this. Another point here is this. Like Ruth, we were once outsiders. But in Christ, we have been brought near. Like Ruth, we were once outsiders. But in Christ, we have been brought near near. You can think about it. Ruth is an outsider. She's not, she is a Moabite woman. I mean, again, remember, like God had warned against these things because here's what the Moabites were known for. They were known for sexual sin and their, their women would try to entice the Israelites and others into sexual relationships and different things. And they would try to pull them in into all kinds of deviancy and stuff. And this was the type of people they were But here, what we see is Ruth is this outsider, and God is saying, okay, in his own sovereignty, in his own plan that we don't comprehend and we don't even see, and they definitely don't see, God is moving her and taking her from Moab and bringing her to Israel. It's really remarkable. I want you to look at this verse. In Ephesians chapter 2, we get to see how this applies to us, how we are like Ruth in this way. Remember, listen, listen to these verses, Ephesians 2.13. Remember that you were at, the, at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel as strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But notice verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you, have one, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So because of Christ, we have been grafted into his family. We are brought in by the precious blood of Christ. Verse 19 in that same passage says this, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. So like Ruth, we're just like Ruth. We were outside of of God. We were were alienated from, because of our sin, we were living in sin. We're totally depraved, as Ephesians 2 tells us as well. And God says, I'm bringing you in. You're a stranger, you're an outsider, but in Christ, you've been brought near. Look at this next one, number four is this. When God seems distant, know that he is actually very near. When God seems distant, know that he's actually very near. He's near to you. 
That's hard to see. It's really hard to see. You usually don't actually see it. <laughs> you don't see his presence through trials. Oftentimes you see him after. When you look back, um, a couple years ago, maybe three years now, I don't really remember. I, I still remember this. We, we were uh, on doing a, I was a high school pastor, and we were doing a, 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 a combined trip with our middle school as well, just like a day trip during the summer to, to climb. And in Charlotte, there's this mountain called Crowder's Mountain, and it's more like a hill, but, but we'll call it a mountain. <laughs> and uh, it's this just pretty, it's a beautiful hike. It's a little challenging, but um, we take the students there. And I remember that was the first time I met Samuel. Um, on that trip, and so for you, you're like, I don't know who this Samuel is. Well, this this is this young boy and his family, Brent, uh, the Kales, and they had this boy. This is their oldest. He's thir- He's I think he was 12, and he came, and that was the first time I'd, I'd really met him and seen him before. But he would have had no idea that at that point on that trip, that was the first time in July that he had a cancer growing in the back of his neck, and the base of his skull. And Samuel, not long after was diagnosed with a rare form of, uh, of, I think, a glioblastoma that was basically incurable. Um, and just a few, a few short, really months later, slowly he had surgery to try to remove the swelling, but quickly that left him with very little function in one of his arms, and he was becoming slowly, de- just declining over time. And in all of that, what was really remarkable was to watch as a couple who's walked with the Lord, struggled, right? They struggled because this, this is their firstborn child. This is their, their child, and they're, and they're watching him suffer and their pain and the heart. I can't, I mean, I can't imagine what they were going through, the pain, the struggle, the hardship. And so when you go through those, you, in the moment, you're like, God, where are you? I mean, my, this is my son. He's only 13, or he's 12 at the time. And, and it's, it's like, God, why would you allow such this hardship? In the moment, it's hard to see God's presence with you. But what was neat to watch them share their story of pain, of deep, dark pain, but to watch as they shared how God was with them through all of it. If you maybe have gone through struggles and pains and suffering and hardships, some of you might be going like, I, I, it's, it's, it's hard to see God as great. It's hard to see him in control. It's hard to see how he's working. But oftentimes it's when we get forward through that trial or, or years later sometimes when we look back, we're like, I see it a little bit. But sometimes God doesn't let you see it because you're not God. And sometimes we cannot see what God is doing. But here's what's happening in Naomi. Naomi has no clue what is right with her. Literally, the fullness of God basically is going to come, and not basically, is going to come from Ruth. And she has no clue. All she sees in the moment is the tragedy and pain and the despair. And she's trying to convince. She has no idea what she's doing. She's trying to convince Ruth to go back to her gods when the Son of God is going to come from her descendant. And she has no clue. You see, in your life and in my life, there's times where we're like, I have no clue. I don't see it. And you're like, I'm trying. And people are trying to tell you and put their arm around you and say, hey, God is good. I know it's hard to feel it right now, but God is good. And in that moment, you're going like, I don't see how God is good. How am I supposed to sing about the goodness of God when all I feel is pain and hurt and heartache? And here's what God is, is telling us in this story of Ruth. He's saying, when God seems distant, no, he's actually very near. Because standing right next to Naomi 
was all that she was going to need to be full. She just didn't know it yet. That one day, Ruth was actually going to remarry and marry an Israelite. We're going to see this love story play out in the next coming chapters. She's going to marry a, a, an Israelite, this Moabite woman, through some really extraordinary circumstances of Elimelech not being faithful to God, but yet going and taking his family to a Moabite country, to a foreign land. And, and, and here's what happens. His sons do exactly what God had warned them to do. They're going to marry. And sure enough, they married two Moabite women. And here, Naomi's trying to convince them, but God is always in control. He's completely in control of the situation. He's working through Ruth, and Ruth is like, no, I want to follow you. Your God is going to be my God. And she has no clue what's going about to happen to her life either. You see, God oftentimes in the trial feels distant, but he's actually near because he's working through that trial to do something in you. And you might be like, I don't see it. I've been trying to figure it out. You're trying to maybe play God sometimes and try to figure it out. Here's what we do. We do really what Ruth did. It says, I'm going to give some radical trust, some risk-taking faith. This doesn't seem like it should be this way, but I'm going to trust you, God, because you're a faithful God. I'm unfaithful, and you continue to be faithful, so I'm going to trust you through this. And so one day, there was going to come an heir right next to Naomi, who's going to be the son of God, who was going to come, and he was going to live the life that she couldn't live, the life her husband couldn't live, the life that Ruth couldn't live, and Boaz couldn't live, and David, their own grandson, a great-grandson, couldn't live. Jesus was going to live that life that they couldn't live, and he was going to pay the price for their sin. He was going to give them forgiveness. It's as that Ephesians uh, 2.13 was saying, by the precious blood of the Lamb, this is how we're brought into his family. Verse 13 of, of, of Ephesians, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, the heir that wasn't even in Ruth's womb yet. One day, she's going to have a son named Obed. We're going to see it. And then Obed's going to be the father of Jesse, and Jesse's going to be the father of David. And David, and go down some centuries later, is going to be Christ. And this Christ is going to take all of the pain and all of the shame and all of the sin upon himself, and he's going to pay the full price for their sin and it is still by faith it was by faith in the old testament it is by faith today in the risen christ that we can experience what ruth experienced that by faith she put her faith in god she might have had some faith in naomi but she also had faith in god and saying okay your god will be my god i'm putting my trust in this and i'm going to pursue it it need to be worked out i'm sure and it was going to be worked out and all those things in time but god was working through her risk-taking faith and taking an outsider, this Moabite, and bringing her into the family of God. God can do that in your life. He's done it in mine, and he's done it in many of your lives. But listen, here's the thing. He can do that in this community, and I want you to see this. God is working maybe through a trial in your life right now, and he's going to use it for his glory and for your good and to the benefit that we don't understand. But he'll work it all because he's a faithful God, and he's always near through the trial. He might seem distant now, but know that he is actually near. And he can be near to you in your time of need as well. Put your trust in God. I want us to just bow our heads for a second. Walt's going to come and the team's going to come here in a second. But I want us to just take a moment to just pause for a second to confess. Maybe, maybe there's sin 
in your life. Maybe there's a lack of faith in, our, in your life. I see it in my heart. I see it. There's times where I'm like, I'm trying to take control. I'm trying to use conventional wisdom. I'm taking over again. I want us to just pause in this moment and just use a time of just confession where maybe they, they play a little bit behind us, but just, just pray in your own heart. Pray and ask God, it, God, do, do, do work with him. Ask God, God, is there, a, is there sin in my life? Is there something that's separating me from you? Confess that to him. Confess, reaffirm your faith in Christ if you have already. If you've never confessed Christ as your Savior, man, put your trust in him like Ruth here. Put your trust in God. He might seem distant right now to you. Maybe he's distant because you haven't been leaning into him. You're not abiding. Confess that. God will give you the grace to draw near. His blood is way more powerful than our sin. His grace is greater than any sin. He, listen, he is near and he's waiting with open arms for you like the the prodigal son who comes home and his father runs after him. That is your heavenly father who's saying, draw near to me. Let's be a people who exemplify Ruth and this risk-taking faith. Maybe what God could do in your life believe and put your trust solely in him. You see God's hand through all the story. God's hands in your life as well. We confess it. I'm going to pray as well. Father, we are in desperate need of your grace. to imagine the pain and the suffering that Naomi had experienced, the loss of a husband, sons. Can't even begin to imagine. We do sympathize with her frustration, her feeling as if she, her name meaning pleasant, but yet coming in and telling, no, 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 call me Mara, because the Lord has built bitterly She doesn't know it. She didn't know it in that moment. She didn't know that right next to her, the one who says, I'm going to cling to you. It's going to one day, through her family, that a son of God is going to pay the price for our sins. God, you were at work in Naomi's life. You're in in your work in our lives as well. God, be gracious to us to help us see it. But even if we don't see it, God, may we trust you through these things. But God, right now, I just I ask that you would help me to God be a have a pure heart. And I, I confess my sins before you because they are ever before you, just like David said. I am like Isaiah, I feel like I'm a, I'm a sinful person. I live among a people who are sinful. Don't feel deserving of your grace, but I thank you for it anyways. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your mercy. Help us, help us to live holy, devoted lives to you. And when you feel distant in our lives, God, I pray that we'll believe and know and return back to the thought that you're actually very near. Thank you for Christ. Thank you for his payment to bring us in as strangers and aliens and to bring us into the family of God through 
blood of Christ. We thank you for these promises, these truths. Help us to believe them. We love you and we thank you that you are in control. You are the King of kings, the Lord of lords. And we love you and we thank you for all these things. And we ask it in your son's name.